Hello and welcome to Match Day FM. It's Morgan and it's deflected in out of absolutely nothing. Curzon and Ashton lead. Dixie to Hardy. Hardy in behind. Hardy past the goalkeeper. Hardy into the goal. 2-1 filed. Chance of Colin Day bubbling everywhere again. The other shot. And it's in. It's a recall as for Colin Day. It's been coming. What's a gap and he goes through it. And Akron gets the first try of the game for Siddle. Hello and welcome to the Match Day FM podcast. In this episode, we're going to be talking about the Champions League. First, we'll reflect on what was quite frankly a crazy quarterfinal stage before then looking ahead to malfortering semi-finals. I'm Chris Stott, and with me for this episode are Sam Jordan and Chris Coughlin. And we'll get straight into it, boys, because we've got a heck of a lot to go through. Like I said, we're going to start with the quarterfinals. And I think, really, there's only one place to start, and that is the demolition job that was Bayern 8, Barcelona 2. And I'll come to you first, Sam. What a mad game that was, because... 8-2 8-2 only tells half the story, doesn't it, really? It's a bit of chaotic, you found a bit of great play. And the thing is, Barcelona could have scored the first couple of goals. Yeah, I mean, chaotic is probably the right word to describe it, Chris, to be honest. It was um, a game that was, if you were to just look at the results, might come across as shocking. But actually, the game could have been 4 all after 10 minutes. It really was an outstanding game to watch as a neutral. But in terms of... Uh, looking at the technical aspects of the game and defensively, both teams had an absolute shocker. Um, it was just a Bayern were absolutely ruthless in front of goal. Um, shocking result. Probably looks like uh, Kike Setien will lose his job now as well. Uh, Barcelona looks like there'll be a massive overhaul there as well. Um, but yeah, it was it was a shock to the football community, the results. But I mean, it just goes to show that pace and power can get you a long way in football and buy and have that in abundance. That's the thing, Chris, like Sam said, it wasn't exactly a defensive masterpiece, was it, from either side? You just look at um, the Alaba-own goal. There's so many places he could have put that ball rather than over his goalkeeper. And Barcelona had chance after chance in that those first stages. You know, he made a couple of good saves and then Bayern just basically scored every time they went forward. So it was just mental, wasn't it? And I remember thinking to myself, literally just before that, that playing David Alaba at centre-back is a bit of a cheat code for me when uh, you're able to play Alfonso Davis at at left-back as well. Um, But on Barcelona especially, ever since they won the Champions League back in in 2015 in Berlin, I've never been a fan of them defensively. I just haven't. I just feel they're so open. Um, you just have to look at the last few seasons, some of the results, 3-0 against Juventus that, that night in Rome as well against Roma and obviously Anfield last season. Um, I just kind of I felt Bayern Munich would win. I, I didn't think it would be that comfortable. But the way that they've been transformed from their early season, or from their own early season chaos, really, uh, Bayern Munich as a club as a whole, has just been incredible. And they're just an absolute machine, goal, goal-scoring machine all over the pitch. And when you present a side like Bayern with so many chances, Sam, there's only going to be one outcome in there. And it was just it just seemed so naive from from Barcelona to be a so open, and then because if you're going to be so open, you've got to have the, the capabilities at the back, haven't you, to 
to stop Bayern scoring, well, eight goals. Yeah, I mean, if you give that amount of talent uh, that Bayern have at their disposal, the chances that Barcelona gave them, you are going to get destroyed, which is what effectively happened in the end. Um, Barcelona, I mean, I was discussing earlier on today, they've got a lot of players in that, in their squad now and in their team that are good players, but they're just not good enough for Barcelona. Um, you've got players in there who are older. Um, they do need a, a, a restructuring um, from top to bottom. Um, the president's not well liked by Bartomeu. Um, that's why Xavi's not looking to take the job until he leaves. Um, but they need an overhaul of the squad. They've got too many players. Um, I mean, if we were to go through them all, um, I'll just pick out a few quick ones. But the likes of Clement Lengley, good player, um, but not good enough to play centre back for Barcelona. Uh, you know, you've got Nelson Semedo, the right back, again, good player, but he's just not good enough to play for Barcelona. And you think of Barcelona, one of the biggest football institutions in world football. I know we talk about, say, Manchester United, Liverpool, um, even Bayern Munich, but we're talking Barcelona and Real Madrid are the two biggest entities in football. They shouldn't be having the, Nelson Semedo and Clement Langley, who played in that in in that defeat on uh, Friday night. They're just not good enough. It, it's play. I've named them too, but we could go through the whole starting eleven. We could go through the the, the whole squad, but they've got loads of um, Sergio Roberto, another good player. Um, who plays right back? But one, he's, he's adapted to right back, but he, he was a centre midfield player. But again, he's not. You would never ever pick Sergio Roberto in in a, a team of best right backs in the world. And Barcelona deserve the very best. Your point about Nelson Semedo, I think his Barcelona career might well have finished with uh, with with Kimmich goal. To be honest with you, the way that Davis gets into that position, first of all. The technical ability of the lad, I'm a massive, massive fan, even at such a, a young age. Um, given his story to get to the stage as well, obviously being a refugee, going to Canada and then getting moved to Bayern Munich. But the way he just fronts up Semedo, and then a second later he's gone, Semedo has just got no answer to it. And as you say, SJ, Barcelona, the quality that they, that they need in, in their squad to compete at the highest level as Barcelona should be, as we've always known Barcelona to do so, they can't have right backs or defenders like that not a chance it was just it was so easy but at the same time you have to give all the credit to Davis for taking advantage of it well that, that's the point I just wanted to, to, to move on to actually that obviously it's easy for us to sit here and absolutely ridicule Barcelona when they put in a, a shambles like that even you know the great Lionel Messi just looked like a passenger at, at times especially out of possession um, but a lot of credit has to Good to buy Munich because how, how many teams are presented with chances like that, Chris, who then don't take them? You know, we see it in the Premier League all the time, don't you, with those ridiculous stats? It's happened to Barcelona conversely, hasn't it? Remember Celtic when they had 20 odd shots and lost 2 1. A lot of credit has to go to Bayern for the ruthlessness. And you mentioned the likes of, of Davis. Um, I thought Muller was outstanding. He just knows whether you know, he always seems to come up with the big goals. And he, he said, actually, didn't he, that it was uh, better than the 7-1 for, for Germany <laughs> against Brazil, which is saying something, isn't it? But it just, the ruthlessness and and power and pace, um, two words that Sam used earlier, they were frightening, really, weren't they? Yeah, and Muller got that. Brazil route started off as well uh, back in 2014. Um, the thing is, for me, with Bayern, is the credit that I give them stretches back far, far further than just this game. When you look back to the start of the season, it was a shambles. 
by Bayern Munich standards, it was an absolute shambles. Yes, they won the Bundesliga and the Cup last year under Niko Kovac, but it wasn't convincing. It just was not convincing at all. I mean, I, I saw Bayern Munich in the flesh uh, when they came to Anfield uh, in, the, in the last 16, last season. And this was a Liverpool team that didn't have Virgil van Dijk. And Bayern just didn't bother going forward. And it, it, that then was just really, really strange to me, just watching that live and just seeing Bayern Munich not be themselves. And earlier on this season, Kovac was relieved of his duties when they lost 5-1 to Frankfurt. And that Bayern Munich losing 5-1 is just not something that we'd ever begin to associate with them. And then even after that, under Hansi Flick, it didn't really pick up. And they lost 2-1 to Mönchengladbach. There were seven points behind Mönchengladbach at the time. And in seventh place, it's just unacceptable for Bayern Munich, unheard of for Bayern Munich. And then after that game, they won 19 of their final 20 games in the Bundesliga. So something clicked under Hansi Flick, and he's quite rightly been given the job on a full-term basis. And you are seeing just how ruthless they are because they are on course for a treble. I, I make them the favourites to, to win the Champions League. And this kind of result is just, when you look at them as a whole under Flick, it's something they're very much capable of. I mean, even look to the last 16, scoring seven against Chelsea in two legs, and it could have been far, could have been far, far more than that. So they are a quite terrifying team, and I'd argue back, back to their best. Would you concur with that, Sam, that uh, probably the, the best remaining team? Uh, we'll probably talk a little bit more in depth about about that as we go on to the semi. But do you reckon they are quickly the, the best team and, um, you know, arguably one of the best attacking teams, if not the best, um, in the world at the minute? Uh, I would say they are the best functioning team. Um, I would argue maybe PSG maybe have a little bit more talent in terms of on the ball, um, technical ability. Um, but in terms of functioning as a team and just being well-drilled and well-oiled machine, I just feel buying far, far too strong for, for anyone else. There's a lot of points there that Chris made, which were very... Uh, very good uh, he's highlighted the fact that they were still struggling under Hansi Flick and it, uh, originally the results improved but performances maybe didn't um, they still had the odd blip as, as you said they, they lost um, early on in his reign and they were, they were floating down the table um, and it looked all for you know at one point it looked like it was going to be Dortmund and Leipzig battling out for the title um, what I would say that he's done, Hansi Flick, he's found his best 11. And obviously, he's moved Alaba inside to centre-back, um, which gives them, again, they're a little bit better on the ball now, centre-back. Um, obviously, Alaba's blessed with pace and power. Um, so, they, they don't get caught in behind as much as what they did previously when they had uh, Schuller and Boateng playing there. Um, they've brought in Alfonso Davis, who everyone thought was going to be a winger. He's playing left-back. He's turned into an absolute animal. A left back, um, just an absolute racing car. I mean, Chris points out before what he did to uh, Nelson, Paul Nelson Semedo um, for the goal uh, the other night. And to be honest, again, don't get me wrong, Nelson Semedo doesn't cover himself in glory, but that goal is all about pace and power. It's not even about technical ability, really. He just stands him up and just knocks the ball past him and bye bye. You know, and, he, and he, he's on his bike. And if you look throughout the team, They've got legs throughout the team, players who can move. Kimmich, Kimmich has got a good engine, gets up and down the field. You've got Alfonso Davis on the other side, it's just like a racing car. You've got Alabet centre-back who can move. 
in midfield. You've got Goretzka who covers the pitch well. You've got Serge Gnabry who's, you know, he, he's lightning. Then you've got Lewandowski who's quick up front. Not necessarily the quickest, but, but do you know what the biggest change is? Thomas Muller wasn't really getting that much of a sniff um, under Kovac. Um, I, don't, I wouldn't say he was completely out of the team, but he, he, was, he, he wasn't the main man or wasn't one of the main men at that point. He has been absolutely nothing short of sensational. And he's, Thomas Muller is a player that will be... He, he's vastly underappreciated at times by a lot, of, uh, a lot of the media, a lot of football fans, because he isn't as easy on the eye as what maybe some other players are. Like uh, If you look at, say, Thiago in midfield, great player. Player that's been linked with Liverpool, very easy on the eye, very good on the ball. Um, you've got Serge Gnabry, very good on the ball. Lewandowski's not necessarily the best on the ball, but again, looks a little bit easier on the eye than a, a, a Thomas Muller. And then over the years, you've got Frank Ribéry and Robin, who they've had, who again were very good on the ball. But Thomas Muller is consistently excellent every single time he plays. I mean, his goal the other night, Barcelona got slaughtered for that goal, uh, where he's he sort of, he played he played the first time, knocked down to Lewandowski, one two and puts it in the back of the net. He's, and don't get me wrong, he half scuffs it, the finish, but he it's just a it's just a brilliant goal. And and he's that's what he does, Thomas Money. Just he goes under the radar, brilliant player. And I think he's been vital in the resurgence of Bayern over the last few months. I was going to mention Thomas Muller, but I can't even begin to do him as much justice as SJ has. Honestly, just the way he's come back in and just transformed this team as well. SJ put it perfectly, absolutely perfectly. Yeah, well, I, I was just thinking, it, like like Sam said, it, uh, a lot, lot of people don't give him the credit he deserves, but it's probably a rarity that all three people on this podcast probably agree categorically on something that Thomas Muller is just a an outstanding player. You're listening to the Matchday FM podcast. Why not let us know what you think? Get in touch by searching for Matchday FM on social media. It says a lot about the quarterfinals that um, City's, let's face it, collapse in the quarterfinals again isn't top billing in, in the way we're, we're going through this. Um, but yeah, City won, Leon three. I don't think anybody saw that coming, apart from potentially Leon. But I I'll, think... I'll tell you one. I'll tell you one <laughs> man that saw it coming. Me, me and um, me and H have a mate that um, somehow earned two grand off off this. He predicted three one. <laughs> that man is lives in a charm life. That fella. But I think the main question that's sort of um, coming out of this, Sam is the question as to whether Pep Guardiola just overthinks these big games because it happens year on year, doesn't it? That it changes something which he doesn't usually do. He went from went to the back three with, with wing backs to match Leon up. You could understand if he was playing a Bayern Munich to, to match them up. But when he's playing Leon, who, let's face it, are not to the same level of Manchester City, for him to do that? Do you think it was bizarre and do you think that's a big factor in why City didn't progress? Um, I think he got his team selection wrong, definitely. Um, he, in terms of overthinking things, Pep Guardiola's, for me, up with, with Jürgen Klopp are the two best coaches in world football. Um, they're very different as well. I think Klopp's a little bit more stubborn than Pep Guardiola. I think Klopp's um, 
less likely to adapt. He's more likely to say, right, this is our way of playing. We're going to stick to it. And if you beat us, fair play. But I expect us to beat you. Um, Guardiola will adapt at times for certain teams. I think last night, what he's trying to do is that Leon obviously played the three at the back quite well. Um, but Leon have got pace. Again, similar to Bayern, they've got pace all over the pitch. They've got players who can move, go through the gears. And the one thing that last night showed up, to be honest with you guys, I felt City were hard done by, to be fair. In the game itself, I don't get me wrong, City didn't cover themselves. I don't think that was the best Manchester City performance. It was a little bit uh, dysfunctional. Um, just looked a bit... It, it just didn't click for them. But by no means, we went... I, I mean, I don't know about yourselves, but I wasn't watching the game last night thinking, wow, Leon looked great here. They've, they played really well. I just felt City underperformed. The formation didn't suit them. And what it did most importantly was expose the weaknesses that Man City have in this side. And, you know, again, similar to Barcelona, they've got players in there who just aren't good enough for what they what, for what for their ambitions are. You know, at centre-back, they've got Eric Laporte, who is a, you know, a great centre-back. And listen, I like the look of Eric Garcia. He looks like a good defender. But that, last night in that back three, the amount of times Eric Garcia got caught um, with balls over the top where he just didn't know where he was meant to be was unbelievable. And, you know, the... The communication there between the defenders just isn't, it's just not good enough. Carl Walker has played them all on side for the first goal. Um, you know, I, and listen, a common thing about Carl Walker, a common complaint is that, you know, he's he's a little bit, um, his pace gets him out of trouble, which, to be honest, last night just fully, it, it, it was just a, a vindication of, of that opinion because he's literally played the whole. Every runner that, for that first goal on side, and Eric Garcia, Eric Garcia has made the last ditch tackle, but Edison's out of, out of position by that point, and it's like, and he has to come out, Edison. So it's that the game itself exposed. And on the other side, Cancelo, I don't know what he was doing playing left back. I, I don't know whether he's gone for defensive solidity there, or but he, I mean, don't get me wrong, he's okay as a left back, but he's okay filling in in games in the Premier League against teams that are lower down the Premier League. Jao Cancelo is a right-back. And I just think in games like that, you can't do square pegs and round holes. You have to play your best players in the best positions and play in the best formation that suits your team and not necessarily worry too much about the opposition, especially when you're playing against the Leon. Now, if what I would have done in that situation, if you're asking me personally, he was obviously worried about legs, so he was worried about pace at the back. Now, I know it would have been a bit of a gamble, but John Stones is the quickest centre-half that they've got. So, if, if John Stones, don't get me wrong, he hasn't been particularly great in a City share, but if you're worried about pace, he has to play. And it's that simple for me. Um, and then you build the rest of the team around your best players. But why, why Bernardo Silva, David Silva, why didn't they play last night? Phil Foden. Phil Foden. Arguably the best player on the pitch against Real Madrid. We had Manus, another one who's been fantastic for City over the last four or five months. Players like that, you've got some of your best players on the bench. And I don't know about you guys, I'm going to raise a point now, which I'm sure you know we'll, we'll talk about later maybe, but I, I still fail to see what Rodri brings to this Manchester City team. So I'm not debating whether he's a good player or not. Uh, he obviously must be to play for Manchester City, but to me, I just don't see how this guy plays every single week. And Fernandinho is in and out the team, because I, I just feel like Fernandinho in that midfield role was twice the player that Rodri has been this year so but yeah that's that's my opinion on it anyway Chris yeah that, I think that that point you make um, 
the Rodri Fernandinho situation, I think, you know, well, again, we'll probably find things we actually all agree on for once, I think, because I saw uh, Chris Coughlin nodding away with that one as well. But Chris, I, I want to sort of build on the points that Sam was making that if I was to say to you that um, Man City play the team they usually play, you know, with um, a centre-forward flanked by Silva, Sterling, De Bruyne in the position where he just pings passes here, there and everywhere, maybe folds it in that 11 with a back four. If I was to say to you, they played that and won three or four nil, would you have been surprised? No, and to be honest with you, I would have been wondering why it made five or six. I saw the team last night on the original team sheet and again, I thought it, I thought it was normal just seeing the team, the way it was set out. And then when the game begins and Fernandinho's at centre-back, I thought I was seeing things because Fernandinho, he's done a job this season when needed to at centre-back, needed to fill in. But you are talking about, for me, one of the best defensive mids in Premier League history. Well, he's and probably right up there with like a Makaleli, isn't he? In, in terms I, of what he does. Yeah, I, I think That's he's absolutely outstanding. Absolutely outstanding what Fernandinho has brought to City over the years. And it is more than what Rodri's done. And when you consider the money that Rodri got bought for as well, it, I hate these kind of midfielders. I don't hate Rodri, I've got nothing personal against him. But I hate these kind of midfielders that are neither attacking, neither 100% defensively, like in the middle, but you don't know what their role is or what they contribute to the game. And it's mind-numbing watching them. And at times this season, Rodri has been that. I think what strikes me about Rodri Fernandinho is, well, we'll quickly touch on this before we move on to the other main talking points from the game, is surely, you know, I mean, I'm not going to claim to be anywhere near as technically gifted as a coach as Pep Guardiola. Um, but to me, Rodri looks more like the player you would put in a back three if you wanted a ball-playing defensive midfielder to drop in a three than Fernandinho. A, height and B, Fernandinho was better at doing the role that Rodri was doing and Rodri and Fernandinho doing that role, probably not a whole much of difference. I don't know whether you agree with that, Sam. Uh, spot on. Um, I think it's a change Rodri, for me, that. Yeah, <laughs> I, I think Rodri is more suited to playing um, that dropping into, in, into the gap between the two centre-backs, definitely. Um, and that's what, if, if, if Pep did want to do that defensively last night, he should have maybe... Um, had Rodri doing that role, uh, and then when City were attacking, they'd go into a four-two-three-one, um, and he or, or a, you know Rodri a four-one-four-one, whichever way you want to look at it. And Rodri could just be the it's sort of how Beckenbauer used to do it for, um, when he was playing years ago, where he'd drop into say a sweeper role defensively, and then when they were going forward, he'd push forward into the midfield, and that's what. But to be honest with you, Chris, I don't think Rodri's that good. I don't think I, I haven't seen Rodri be able to do that. I don't think he's good enough to be able to step forward from centre-back if, if he was to go back there. Um, I could see him pushing up the pitch, but for me, Chris made a solid point before. He just doesn't, like, I, I think he flatters to deceive me. There's obviously a player there uh, in terms of yeah, he's, he's, a, he's a passer of the ball, obviously, in terms of, he's, he's, he reminds me a bit of Busquets, but just not as good, and the winner as good as him. Um, Busquets being a little bit more aggressive than him, and, and um, and just it keeps the game ticking over better than them as well. But Rodri just flattered to deceive. And I think in the Manchester City team, where and a Premier League team, where you have to have a bit of aggression, a bit of passion about yeah, it just doesn't suit the it just doesn't suit the uh, the Premier League in my opinion. And 
unless he becomes a more all-round aggressive player um, in that position or starts uh, pressing the ball uh, a bit better and just being an all-round midfield player rather than just being, at the moment, to me, he's just a water carrier. I would call him a water carrier midfield. He just he literally just links the play and that's it. And, and to be honest with you, Chris, you could get anyone to do that. You could go and get anyone to do that, especially in this Manchester City team, to go and get the ball off the centre back and go and give it to another central midfield player because that's effectively all that he's doing. He just I'll gets do it for the ball. He's on. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> People yeah, moan at Tom Cleverly for basically doing the same thing. That's, at Man what United. Yeah. that's what I'm saying. He literally comes and gets the ball and then passes it on. That's a link play. You know, I wouldn't say he's. I mean, you would never say he was a Kante or someone who goes and wins the ball back or something like that. Would just so I fail to see how important his role is in the team. But Guardiola seems to love him. Yeah, it's, it's, it is a strange one, um, for sure. But obviously, we, the game had its moments. And it, I think one of the big moments, um, you know, there was the VAR um, call, which we'll come on to a minute, in a minute. But the Sterling miss, if that goes in, City go on and win the game, don't they, Chris? And we were talking before we started, it's, it's got to be right up there, one of the worst misses that we've seen, certainly in the Champions League, if not in most competitions for a long, long time. I must have watched this quite, well, a lot of times. And I'm still trying to detect the bobble that Lineker's talking about because either it's not on the angles they're showing or I just can't see it. I cannot believe it. That was the first miss for a long time while I was watching a game that I literally couldn't speak afterwards for a solid few minutes. The, the ball comes across and everyone watching the game. There's not a single person that thinks he's missing that. Next thing you know, over the bar. And it, where, where I was watching it, it was just pure shocked silence. <laughs> Hands behind heads, just absolutely aghast at what they've just seen. And this is from a, a quality footballer. He's got over 30 goals for Manchester City this season. It's his highest scoring season of all time um, of his career. I just can't really put into words how incredible or how shocking it was, to be honest. And and Sam, we always say when uh, we see misses like this, or I just scored that, and, you know, but it's, in reality, chances are, but not actually that great at footballers. For example, you've seen me play. You know that <laughs> nine times out of ten, I can't do anything. But I think I score that. And that that is about as a damning and as a indictment as I can give that Sterling miss. It's a shocker, uh, um, isn't it, Sam? Yeah, I mean, Chris, I, to be honest, I'm backing, even, even, even in that position, I'm backing you to do a pirouette and then put it in with your left foot. I, I'm uh, backing Tom Whitehead to score it. Yeah, yeah, I mean, and, and you know, obviously that's, that's a massive compliment to Tom because he's extremely limited. But <laughs> he's, um, it's a shocker, isn't it? I mean, I, I watched it similar to Chris last night. I was like, I cannot believe he's, he's missed that. But then at the same score, when you think about it, that's not even probably the worst miss in Sterling's repertoire over the years, is it? it it's like, it, it was a shocker, but Sterling's missed some absolute howlers in his day. And obviously over the years, his finishing's improved. But that last night, as I say, Gary Lineker's just trying to make excuses for him there. There's no bobble whatsoever. Um, he has to put that away. There's no two ways about it. And, if I'm being totally straight, you knew the minute he put that over the bar that Leon were going to go up the other end. That that goal literally just deflated. Sorry, the miss. Sorry, deflated Manchester City, and you could see it straight away. It was only a minute between the two. Was it even less than a minute? Um, yeah, fifty-nine seconds, I believe it was. So 
I mean, it, you could just tell it like that. That, and, and I know myself, and when I play, even you guys will be able to talk about when you know if you were playing Sunday league, if you were behind and you'd miss a chance like that, it does. It just deflates everybody, and and he's got to put that away. You know, and I feel so sorry for Manchester City because, as I said, he didn't deserve to be behind at that point. And yeah, well, uh, at least they've finally answered to that, that age-old question of why Harry Kane didn't square it in the World Cup semi-final. <laughs> but yeah, VAR, uh, I might as well come straight back to you, Sam, this, because you've mentioned it enough times. you clearly got something to say about it. it was the, the Dembele goal were question marks of offside, putting it loosely. It's, it's that interpretation rubbish isn't it really with whether he's active inactive blah 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 and then there's the question of whether it's a foul on the port um go on sam give us your well, take on it listen chris there's, there's people that have been to jail for less than what Dembele did last night i mean that's a to me if you can't give a foul for that there's no point in having VAR. um it literally is a joke i mean we've seen in the premier league this year where the officials have reluctant to get involved and overturn decisions, uh, on-field decisions. How can you not, in a game of that magnitude, where there's a clear and obvious foul like that, I mean, it's, you know, he's literally clipped him. As you don't wrong, it's accidental, but he's clipped him and he's impeded him. And he goes through one-on-one and scores from, from that foul. And as you say, I'm not even going to talk about the offside because at the end of the day, as you said, that's open to interpretation. But you can Look at the foul. That that to me that is not over. That is a stonewall foul. It's not even like negotiable. It's it's he fouled him. It's a foul, and Man City should have had a free kick at that point. The game's two one, and they could still chase it. Don't get me wrong. As I said before, they they probably deflated. The wind would have been taken out, taken out of their sails by the miss, but they still got something to chase. The, the officials have absolutely finished Manchester City there, and and to be honest. The, the officials in general last night, I don't think were particularly great. Um, I wouldn't say they had absolute stinkers, but they weren't particularly great. They got they were a little bit, um, oh, what's the word? A uh, little bit harsh in some of the decisions. Um, I felt like they, they gave Kevin De Bruyne a really harsh yellow card early on, um, and I just felt like Man City didn't get the rubber to green at all last night, and and certainly that was just, I mean, that's a shocker and. It doesn't in any way take away from the fact that I, 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 said, I don't think Manchester City deserve to win the game. So it's not as if I'm saying Man City have been robbed or anything like that. I'm just looking at fairness and and VAR was brought in to get these big decisions right. And that last night is an absolute howler. Yeah, it's uh, it's not one that covers the technology in a lot of glory. Uh, just to to move on to to finish it on on this particular game, Chris. Um, I think we've talked a lot about City, but finally from you, Chris, on this one, did Leon need a lot of credit for the way they did a job on Manchester City? They were defensively strong. They hit them on a couple of counter-attacks. Ultimately, their game plan worked. Uh, I feel really harsh on Leon, to be honest with you, because prior to the game, I'd completely written them off. I, I really had. This is a team that didn't even finish their league season, uh, finished seventh in the curtailed league earn. Their only three get well, their three games since lockdown competitively have been the Coupe de Ligue final against PSG, which they lost on penalties, 
the last 16 match away in Turin against Juventus, which they went through on away goals, and this match against Manchester City, I, I think the credit to Lyon after lockdown has been phenomenal. Bearing in mind, if the season had carried on, if, if um, the, the pandemic hadn't have happened, they wouldn't have had Memphis to buy in particular. Um, so it's actually worked out for them to, to get him back fully fit. Um, but nevertheless, you know, to, to put in three performances like they have since lockdown, you can't not give credit to, to Leon. Fantastic achievement and got themselves through to the semi-finals for, for the first time in a decade. You're listening to Matchday FM. How crucial has Bruno Fernandes been? Because it, it, they've almost been, it, it, I think it's fair to say, they've just been unrecognisable since he's come in. I think he's certainly jumped into the Premier League halfway through a season and certainly shown he can swim in that particular, in that <laughs> metaphor. <laughs> Rather than sink. <laughs> Yeah, I know. We're we are still talking no, about football, aren't we? I know, no, but no. I meant in the The Olympics is next year, Tommy. Check out all of our podcasts so far on Anchor, Apple Podcasts and Spotify. So after the two really significant quarterfinals, the Leipzig Atletico one probably provided a bit of an upset, although it wasn't the greatest spectacle, particularly for the first half, but a bit late drama means that Leipzig have created a bit of history for themselves. Um, Chris, you've seen quite a bit of Leipzig in the Bundesliga. Um, given the fact that they were without Timo Werner, who for the last couple of years has been their main man, hasn't he? He's been scoring all the goals. To get to a Champions League semi-final without him, beating Atletico, who are renowned for their defensive capabilities, how big of an achievement is that? Oh, it's massive. When you consider as well, in all competitions, um, I think Sabitzer had around 20 goals less than Werner and he was their next highest scorer. And But Sabitzer was fantastic in that second half. He really was. Um, I, I would call this an upset. I really would call it an upset, especially when you look at Atletico in the last round, uh, knock, knocking out Liverpool at Anfield. Um, I think to call it a Simeone masterclass in Anfield is stretching it, but that, that's just my own views on, on the matter. Um, <laughs> but, I, I, you know, again, that, that's a whole other discussion. But um, they changed the way they played against Leipzig, and I don't know why they did that. Because if they played the way Atletico normally play, I think you'd have been talking about them in the semi-finals. And the way that... Similar to City in some ways, changing. Yeah, absolutely, and I think PSG would have then played into their hands. I really, really do. I don't know why he changed the, the style against um, Leipzig. Maybe it was because with no Werner, he didn't expect that much of a challenge. Um, but nevertheless, Leipzig do deserve to go through. And it, it's maybe not the fairy tale um, quote quote-unquote, that uh, many uh, can attribute to other clubs. But nevertheless, it, it's, it, it is, at the moment, the tip of the iceberg for a quite remarkable cr- progression over such a short amount of time for Leipzig. And Sam, Chris sort of alluded to it there. Bit of a missed opportunity for Atletico, considering what they did pre-lockdown at Anfield um, and you know the desperate nature of Atletico to to win this trophy, given they've lost a couple of finals, um, you know, to, to the arch rivals as well. Does this feel as though a big opportunity has been let slip, similar to Manchester City in some ways? Well, yeah, I mean, if you look at the, the draw and uh, the clubs that um, were left in the competition, even at the quarter-final stage, I think Atletico will be disappointed. I think um, they would have been looking at the competition and think, OK, so the likes of uh, PSG and Bayern are still in there. Um, 
other big, you know, big team, but they would have felt, I'm sure they would have felt they had a chance against them teams, um, especially the way they set up. Uh, Chris, you know, pointed out that he didn't think it was a Simeone masterclass. And, and to be honest, although I was laughing, I agree with him. Um, I don't think it was. I mean, I, I thought Atletico were actually quite lucky on the night. Um, don't get me wrong, they set up well, um, as they normally do, but I thought Liverpool played well. I thought Liverpool possibly deserved to win the game. Um, and they were quite lucky and they still scored a couple of goals. Um, you know, Marcus Lorente got two, didn't he, when he came on? And, you know, I think a lot of that was down to the fact that Adrian Liverpool's goalkeeper on the night just had a little bit of a shocker. And, um, yeah, but it was that result didn't surprise me, the Leipzig result, I'll be honest. Um, I do call it an upset because, you know, uh, although Leipzig have been impressive this season, um, as you know, you both pointed out, they, they have lost Tim Ilvena, um, who's the leading goal scoring threat. Um, but I'll tell you what, Leipzig are very, very good at. Again, they've got legs in their team. But I love that day out Upa Meccano at centre-back. I just think he's an absolute Rolls-Royce as a centre-half. He absolutely bullied Diego Costa um, on the night. And he, I mean, if he, after that performance, if a Premier League heavyweight doesn't go and sign him, wow, because he's a top, top centre-half. Well, Only 21 as well. Yeah, yeah. well, well it, you know, it sort of carries on a little bit from what we were saying earlier. Um, put Upa Meccano in that Man City team. <laughs> you know what I mean? Because wow. it was absolutely astronomical. He was superb, wasn't he? And like, not many players, um, you know, have, you know, not many centre-halves. Let's, let's face it, other than like a, a, a Virgil van Dijk, not many centre-halves get talked about as being the best player on the pitch in a quarter-final of, of that magnitude, did they, Chris? And is that sort of testament to how good this lad is? He is absolutely outstanding. And as I say, only 21 years old. You mentioned City there, and it kind of makes me a little bit more confused over the Nathan Ake signing. And maybe it's just because of my phobia of two left-footed centre-backs playing the same team. I just don't like that idea. I like I, I can I can deal with one right-footed, I can deal with one left-footed, but I can deal with even two right-footed. I just don't like the idea of two left-footed centre-halves. That that that's just that's just my own uh, personal preference. Not debating Ake's quality, but when you look at someone like Upamecano and the quality that he has, just outstanding. Like the strength, even uh, when uh, I think it was uh, Renard. Uh, Renan Lolly, yeah, Renan Lolly, Renan Lodi, that went down. Upa Meccano knew not to go in there. It's just that that game intelligence of the guy as well at such a young age, just shows that he is he's going to be around for a few years to come. And yet another top young Frenchman. Yeah, absolutely. And speaking just of a, young, oh, go on, go, sorry, go just, just to touch on that as well. Do you know who he reminds me of? He reminds me of a very young Saul Campbell. Right. That's a shout, that. He, he's just an athlete playing centre-back. Big, strong, powerful, very quick. Um, not necessarily the best on the ball, even though, actually, to be fair, the other night, BT highlighted that, you know, he, he, his, uh, his little runs that he was making um, from centre-back. He's not, he's not a, a John Stones-type centre-back who's going to come out and create things from, 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 uh, from the centre defence, but he, he, just, he just makes the right decision and his physical attributes are just outstanding. And Man City, as you rightfully pointed out, he'd be perfect for them. Absolutely perfect. He'd be perfect for any team. Chelsea, Chelsea have got problems at centre-back. He'd be perfect for any of them teams. Um, he's just an outstanding 
outstanding talent. And as Chris rightly pointed out, France just seems to have an abundance of young talent at the moment. Yeah, and, and speaking of young talent, this one's the manager, Nagelsmann. Outstanding amount of credit has to go to him, Sam, because, you know, to be so young and to be right at the top of his game and taking a, a team like Leipzig to, to where he has, um, you know, thing is, big clubs are going to be sniffing around him because he is going to be managing one of the top, top teams in the world, isn't he? He's just, he just got everything as a manager. Yeah, I mean, you would think so. I mean, one thing I would say about him is he does need to win something first um, before he maybe gets a job at one of the bigger clubs. Um, he, he he is a, an outstanding talent. When you take into consideration he's younger than Lionel Messi, um, shows you how inexperienced he is um, in terms of uh, his managerial career. I mean, he obviously took over at Hoffenheim. Was it? 2000, was it 2016, something like that. Yeah, I know um, he was in his 20s still when yeah, he took over. Yeah, so he took over there. He's obviously done really well there. Um, and then he's, he's obviously been at Leipzig. I think it's his first year. Um, so he's done really well uh, up to this point. Um, the next job I see him taking, I think he's got one more job in him before he gets a top, top job, if that makes sense. And I think maybe it'll be somewhere like... Um, Maybe in Italy, maybe like an Inter Milan or someone like that before he hits uh, a massive, or even an Arsenal, someone like that. What about who's like sort of a like Spurs? Sleeping, yeah, Spurs, uh, like a sleeping, Spurs again, a sleeping giant, someone like that before he hits a, you know, one of the big, you know, big boys in terms of Bayern Munich or someone like that, or a, or a, a Manchester United or someone Chelsea, because he just he needs to get a couple of trophies under his belt, and I think the likes of Leipzig at the moment, although Leipzig are a good team, they're a selling club. They're always going to sell the best players, um, proven by the fact that Timo Werner got sold um, every year. Uh, Naby Keita, Liverpool have, have uh, exploited them themselves. Um, they, they will sell their best players for, for, for big money. Um, so he will, and there's no doubt he'll do a, do a job there and he'll do very well. Um, and he will, in my opinion, there's no doubt he will reach the top of his game. But for the time being, I think Leipzig's level have another year or two there, then maybe, as you say, hit a Tottenham or someone like that and then move on again. But what's interesting about Nagelsmann is the way he sets up his teams because they play three at the back, but they play like, it's a bit of a, a, weird, a weird formation because they play three at the back, but they don't play wing-backs necessarily. They play like wingers and then they'll have a, a, a like a number, a number four, as you would call it, or number six in midfield. Uh, who's very, very deep. It's normally, uh, I think it's Campbell in this team, in the, in the Leipzig team. It was uh, Kevin Vocht in the old um, Hoffenheim team. And then they play sort of like two number 10s, which is what Sabitzer was playing the other night. And then the, obviously the centre forward. It, it really like sort of weird formation, but it just seems to function so well. And it's so uh, structured in the way they are. And I, and I know at Leipzig, they, they have they've altered it a little bit. Um, over the last over the last few months, where some weeks they, they will play with say um, genuine fullbacks playing as wingbacks, but there's a lot of the time where they're playing with wingers. I've seen Lukman starting on the left for them, um, and he's expected to go back and defend. I've seen uh, other other players who've played on the right hand side. I mean, there's good players in that team like Emil Forsberg who can't even get a sniff just because he just doesn't suit the way they play anymore in terms of the formation, and he is a bit of a, a maverick in terms of the way he sets up his team. But outstanding talent as you as you rightfully pointed out and I do think he will reach the top eventually. It'll be well worth keeping an eye on him because 
let's face it, if Roy Hodgson can still go into his 70s, then Nagelsmann's got a good 30, 40 years in him. So I'm sure he'll win something in that time. I mean, I've just cursed him now. He'll probably won't win anything. <laughs> but um, be interested to see how he goes in his career. Final quarter-final tie then. Atalanta 1, Paris Saint-Germain 2. Again, bit of late drama. Paris Saint-Germain digging themselves out of a bit of a hole in the end. It didn't look like it was going to happen, Chris. Neymar missed three, four really good chances. Mbappe comes off the bench. And Chupin Moses the hero. Wow. That, that in itself. Great story. Stoke City, that Stoke City squad, the relegated squad of 2018, just loved the Champions League, didn't they? Um, but this would have been a fairy tale. This really would have been a fairy tale if Atalanta had made it through. The way they've progressed as a club over the last few years, they're just such a, a well-run club uh, with, with Gasparini in charge as well. Um, and I thought, when you look at Neymar, miss the one-on-one and then the miss afterwards, I think that's why I can't put him on that next level. Because it, it, it's not as if it's a rarity for Neymar to be in that position and miss these kind of chances either. And then as the game goes on, as you say, you just don't get the feeling that it's going to come. And then Chopper Motting changes the game. <laughs> the, uh, the cross to the back post for Neymar for, for Marquinhos's goal. And then the, the winner himself, fantastic contribution from, uh, as I say, the, the, the free transfer from Stoke City. I just remembered that. He is culpable. I know we were saying about Sterling's miss. He is culpable for the worst miss of all time. Uh, I think earlier in the season when he missed the effort from on the line in uh, in Ligue 1. But fair play to PSG because it's one of those things, isn't it, in the Champions League where we're saying, can they get past that stage? Can they get past that mental block? And could this be the year where that mental block is broken down? Well, that's the thing, it, Sam. Um you know, I think we'll all remember where we were when we watched um, them capitulate against Barcelona and lose 6-1. Um, Manchester United the other year as well. This was a big moment for them, wasn't it, to, to get them two late goals and make a semi-final. And, and that could be the turning point. That could ultimately, they could look back at, at that game, them goals as being the ones that progressed them onto winning this Champions League. Yeah, I mean... Obviously, as you pointed out there, they have had a, a sort of mental block in terms of when they get to this stage of the competition. Um, over the last few years, it doesn't seem to matter which coach is in charge. Um, it doesn't seem to matter what players they have. They just haven't been able to progress beyond this point. Um, look, I'm going to keep this brief up, PSG, I'll be honest. In terms of technical ability, they've got a lot of good players, um, especially midfield and forward areas. And is an outstanding talent. Neymar's an outstanding talent. I do agree with Chris. I don't think he's... For me, you can't put him on the same pedestal as Messi and and, uh, and Ronaldo because I just don't think he contributes as uh, as effectively as they do. Um, but he is an outstanding player. Um, Angel Di Maria didn't play the other night; another great player for them. Um, but in terms of, I, I thought they were lucky um, through the night. I thought Atalanta uh, were okay in the game. I didn't think Atalanta were, were at the best either. To be honest, I thought it was a, a sort of poorish game. Um, I thought Zapata up front for Atalanta had a bit of a shocker and he's normally one of their better players um, his touch was a little bit off the other night um, and on the counter Atalanta you know, just didn't hurt PSG the way they could have done um, but yeah I thought they were lucky I thought they got out of jail um, Chupa Moten did well when he come on Mbappe changed the game for me when he come on um, up until that point PSG were flat um, 
in terms of going forward, I don't think they're going to win the competition, even though I, I think they're the second best team in the competition. Um, I just think if, if they come up against Bayern, they're going to get destroyed. Um, and I mean destroyed. It could be another dismantling. Um, maybe not 8-2, but easier 4-0. Um, I just think Bayern are just too structured, too technical. Um, not, I was going to say technically gifted, and they're not because PSG have got a lot of technically gifted play. Too, too structured, too well oiled, just an absolute, just all over the pitch. They've just, just a, a better drilled team than PSG. PSG to me is a lot. Of, it's, it's a team made up of individuals, whereas Bayern's a proper functioning outfit. And if them two come up against each other, I just see Bayern just wiping the floor with them. And as I say, until PSG stop this. In my opinion, PSG is another club really that could do with a little bit of a restructure. I don't know what you think about that, but in terms of the way they, they sign players, they just seem to go and sign a wide range of different players every single year and don't actually have a plan in place. Um, a bit like Man, Man United's approach over the years, um, last few years, really. it's just a scattergun. Go and sign big names, but don't necessarily know where to fit them in or don't necessarily know what formation they're going to play or what style of play they're going to play because and they've proved it over the years because it doesn't matter which coach has been in charge yeah okay they win the French League every year and they win the you know the the, uh, the cup competitions the domestic cup competition but they, in, in Europe when the true test is on they get found out because they never ever have a, a clear structure and it's a fine way of playing in my opinion and until they get that right PSG I don't see them challenging in the Champions League yeah, I couldn't agree more to be to be honest. But you know what you're saying there about about the transfers and sort of like the individuals. Um, I I don't know about you, but when I look at these final four, if you're looking in terms of um the teams, the ones that are you know what you define as a team, you'd say Bayern absolutely, Leon proof that they are a well structured, well organised team. Leipzig have that sort of team ethic. Paris Saint-Germain probably don't have any of those and they seem to be very top-heavy as well, don't they, Chris? And we'll sort of drift this on now to having a look ahead to the semi-final against Leipzig. Um, that's one of the big things for them, isn't it? That, you know, the teams over the years that have won this Champions League have either good structure, good spirits, or a well-oiled machine. You even look as far back as Porto. They were a really good unit under Mourinho. You just don't get the sense of that with Paris Saint-Germain, do you? No, it is quite top-heavy. I mean, even if you look at the likes of Tilo Kera right back the other day, they've let Mounier go to, to Borussia Dortmund, and he's someone that would have been able to, to fit in there seamlessly. In terms of being top-heavy, like sort of Sarabia and Icardi have come in, and Icardi's now a permanent signing. But again, he is someone who, and I think... We both get the drift with this. He is a personality that I'm not entirely sure is the best for a successful dressing room. Um, with all due respect to Mario Icardi, no doubting his quality, but he um, he's someone he's been left out of the Argentina team for for reasons that are, that are well discussed. Um, when I look at the likes of Marquinhos as well, I, he plays. I prefer him at centre back. I know he's played a lot more kind of defensive midfield. And maybe that's because I just prefer I prefer Silver and Marquinhos as opposed to Silver and Kimpembe. I know Kimpembe is a World Cup winner, but he didn't play a lot in the tournament, did he? Let's face it. And it's just a partnership that I do prefer. 
I have to say, since he's gone there, and I know he, he didn't last the full 90 day, he got substituted, but since he's gone there, and Sam knows all about this fella, Idris Sagana, yeah, he has been someone that has helped PSG in that regard because he is a, he's a wonderful player. We were saying about Rodri earlier on, he is that player that knits it together but does his bit as well. And he is, albeit he's a little bit older than I think PSG would, would really like. Um, he is someone that, if you talk about a refresh, the midfield certainly do need a bit of a refresh for myself. Um, but yeah, it, it strikes me like they're trying to create a bit of a Galacticos without the team ethic attached to it as well. You're listening to the Matchday FM podcast. Take it all together, semi-final previews. Uh, RB Leipzig against PSG on Tuesday. Bayern against Lyon on the Wednesday. Um, basically, I'm just going to ask one question to each of you. And this is a case of... We'll start with you, Sam. Um, where is this game won, do you think, between Leipzig and Paris Saint-Germain? Question. Um, That's why he's the host. Yeah. Um, I'd say I've paid for these good questions, but, you know, voluntary and all that. Yeah, well... Uh, Listen, I mean, if you, you want to keep that lie going, then that's up to you. But obviously, we know that you've been doing well on the, the old advertising. Uh, yeah, I mean, for me, it's, do you know where it's won and lost? I mean, we've, we've just been over it. It's whether, to be honest, it's, it's whether Paris Saint-Germain can turn up in, in terms of uh, the work ethic. Because if, I think if Paris Saint-Germain match the work ethic and uh, the structure of Leipzig, they'll turn them over and they should turn them over quite easily. But if they don't, do you know what? If they, if they don't, I fancy that game to be another struggle for them, like Atalanta. Um, and I fancy maybe Leipzig to nick it. Um, but that, to me, that's what it boils down to. PSG have to get the work ethic right. If they get that right, they'll win and they should win comfortably. If they don't, which I, I don't think they will, because <laughs> judging off uh, prior performances and the way they've been um, over the years, I, I do fancy um, the game to be a struggle for them. And listen, they could win it on penalties, or they could, you know, go through an extra time. But I just, I just feel like they won't match, um, won't match Leipzig in terms of work ethic. And then because of that, it will be a struggle, and potentially I could see an upset. Same question to you, then, Chris. For me, it's how clinical both teams are. Just because I, I sense chances in this game, I really do, and. Leipzig against Atletico, they didn't create the most chances in the world, but it's a fantastic header from, from Danny Olmo. And then um, the, the deflected strike, obviously, by, by Tyler Adams that, that wins it for them. Um, PSG, again, the chances that Neymar had, he, he should have buried them back then, but he really, if presented with those opportunities, really should score them in, uh, in this game. And I think that could be the... Most telling uh, factor, one little subplot that is very interesting is uh, how much Christopher Nkunku will be involved. Former PSG youngster moved on to, to make his name at Leipzig and he's had a fantastic season and uh, undoubtedly he is one that could very much cause uh, Paris Saint-Germain problems. I think the way I see it is Paris Saint-Germain seemed to remind me quite a bit of the Portugal team that won the Euros. They just got that sense that They've got the players, but don't always sort of click or whatever and aren't brilliant, but find a way. And obviously, let's face it, Portugal fluked the way to the final um, and won it in extra time with 
Adair coming from, from nowhere, it'd be, a, I think it, if PSG get through through this, it'll be in a similar fashion and who knows if they get to, to a final. Um, so I'll just come back to Sam then for his uh, final prediction for this game. I'm not, I'm not going to call a winner. Um, because I do think it's going to be well, tough. I, 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 I actually disagree with Chris. I don't think there is going to be many chances in the game, judging on the way Leipzig set up um, and the way that PSG have just been lacklustre. Um, I think I think there will be a couple of chances, but I just I feel like it'll be. Um, his, his point about being clinical is is a good one. I do think I do feel like whoever is more clinical will have the better chance of winning. But it's about for me, it's about who takes the chances that they're given. I don't think they're going to be loads of chances. I think, to me, it's going to be a long, drawn-out process. I, I see the game going to extra time, I'll be honest. Um, if, I'm to, if you push me to pick a winner, I'll say PSG in extra time. Um, but I will not be shocked if, um, if Leipzig turn them over. I really wouldn't. What about you, Coughlin? A similar kind of vein where PSG, they, they, this is their chance now. I'm not saying that they will go on and win the tournament because Bayern Munich are absolutely awesome. But they know, at least to get to the final, this is their chance now. Because say they, they go out, it'll be the whole the bottle jobs mantra uh, that the media go in towards them, that we are used to at Paris Saint-Germain. And it's also about time that Neymar stood up and be counted for. I know we've discussed him at length here, but from a man that left PSG to step out of Messi, or sorry, left Barcelona rather, to, to step out of Messi's shadow, this is the, the kind of stage that he's been asking for. So I'm going to go a bit more blunt than Sam. I do think PSG can get it done in 90 minutes. Um, if, Atlanta, sorry, if, uh, if Red Bull Leipzig um, win it, again, I wouldn't be shocked. But I'm going to go PSG by, I'll say... Yeah, three goals to one. Well, I'll go slightly against the ground. I, I fancy Leipzig. I just fancy Leipzig. There's something too. about them, isn't there? Yeah, I just, I think there's something about PSG as well, which is it's the issue for them. So <laughs> I think it's going to be a, a real be intriguing game. To be honest, to be honest, Chris, I, I'm going to actually cause a bit of hysteria. I'm going to change my mind. Say Leipzig next time. Um, Love it. Yeah, I'm a little bit undecided. Um, I do see how both teams can win. Um, but I did mention the point earlier that if PSG can't match their work ethic, and I don't think they will, which is then bizarre to then pick PSG to win the game. So, um, yeah, I'm going to say Leipzig in extra time to get it done. Well, that's the, the Tuesday game. The following evening, we've got Bayern against Leon. We talked Bayern up all podcast, haven't we? So I'm just going to chase the question ever so slightly. What do Leon have to do to cause what, let's face it, would be a monumental upset, Chris. Oh, I knew you were going to ask that. <laughs> <laughs> um, they have to, well, get the basics right, first of all. Absolutely have to get the basics right. Mark their men, defend, uh, follow runners, because Lewandowski's got this funny little knack of, you know what? You know where he's going to be. He's going to be somewhere in the six-yard box. But he he finds this way of becoming invisible, almost so defenders just lose him. And that is going to be something that we're playing at three at the back, especially because I remember Paul Merson saying a few years ago, I think it was about uh, Harry Maguire when he joined Manchester United playing for for England in a back three. It was you play three in the back if 
you aren't good enough to play two. And I think maybe that does a bit of a disservice to these Leon defenders, to be honest with you. But they're used to that system. For me, they can't they can't change it. No point changing it. Just play the way that they play against Manchester City because, as we said, they didn't really impose themselves. They just made sure they did the basics and, and countered, albeit. Bayern are very difficult to counter against with, uh, with the roadrunner, with the, uh, the FC Bayern roadrunner at left back as, as Thomas Muller has crowned Alfonso Davis. Um, but they just need to, you know, that'll count 10 minutes, 20 minutes, 30 minutes. Just do the basics right. And if you get your chances, take it. What about you, Sam? What did Leon have to do to upset the odds here? Uh, cut a deal with Satan. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I agree with Chris. They have to do, Leon have to be spot on. They have to be spot on from minute one to minute 120 if needs be. Um, they can't afford to make any mistakes. If they, 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 Don't get me wrong. I think maybe we, we are doing Leon a little bit of disservice. In terms, they have got some good players. I mean, um, I'm not even going to try and pronounce his name. But it, it, Hossam. Well, I am going to try and pronounce it. Hossam Awa, is it? Something like that. Hassan Awa. Hassan Awa, yeah. Good player. Um, obviously, they've got threats going forward in terms of Maxwell Corne. They've got Dembele. Um, they've got... Do you know what I like him in Corker, eh? He's only played the last couple, a few games um, for Leon, But what a player. He looks like he's going to be a good player. Um, yeah, I, I just don't think they've got enough um, to hear Bayern consistently. Whereas Bayern are just going to consistently hurt Leon. Um, and they're going to stretch them. Uh, and that's the thing with a, the formation that Leon play, because if you play three at the back, as Chris Wright points out, normally it's because you're maybe not good enough at the back. Um, I mean, it can also be because you're just not good uh, as good as the opposition, generally. Um, I do think, obviously, th- th- that might be doing a little bit of disservice to Leon, because they actually look solid at the back of the night. And, uh, I was quite impressed by Jason Denier. Um Last night, um, thought he played well. What I would say is that I just feel like they're going to get stretched a lot more than what City stretched them last night. I just Gennabry will be making runs. Alfonso Davis will make runs from uh, left back. You'll have jo- Joshua Kimmich getting forward from right back. You'll have uh, Lewandowski trying to get in behind. You'll have Thomas Muller trying to link the play. It's the, the threats that Bayern will have going forward. I just think are going to be too much for Leon to cope with for a full ninety or one hundred and twenty minutes, and that's why I think Bayern. Uh, we'll win the game and win the game comfortably. But to answer your question, and I go back to the original answer, they have to cut a deal with someone above, whether it's God, whether it's Satan, whoever it is, they have to cut a deal because I just don't see how they're going to win the game. Yeah, I'll take that as your prediction as well then. Uh, Bayern to win. I, I, I can give you a score prediction on that one if you want. Go on then. I, I fancy Bayern 4 0. I'll take that. Chris, quick prediction. I'm guessing Bayern. By the way, you picked them up, Olaf. <laughs> I've just checked. You can get Leon and Leipzig to meet in the final at twenty to one. If anyone fancies that, <laughs> stranger yeah. things have happened. Let's face it. Yeah, I mean, if you want to, we want to throw money away. Then yeah, you do that. Yeah. But, um, <laughs> no, um, look, uh, Bayern all day for me. Uh, any you know, in terms of a prediction for how how many? Literally, how many they want? They are that good, and. Well, that's- uh, I think they will be in the final, as I say, I think against Paris Saint-Germain. Well, we've got a bit of a split of an old German final or a French-German final. Either way, it's the first time for a long time that no semi-finalists from England 
or Spain. So no local interest in terms of the, the UK and the Premier League, but it's going to be interesting. Two really fascinating semi-finals. Will we get two upsets? Will we get two predictable games? Who knows? The quarterfinals threw every rule out of the window, didn't they? So it's going to be interesting to see how they pan out and who will be in the Champions League final in a year that has been completely different to any other in the competition. Well, let's face it, if they're half as good as the semi-finals we got last season, then I think we'll be quite happy as spectators for that one. But my thanks then to Chris and Sam for their inputs in this podcast. Thank you for listening as well. I've been Chris Stott and this has been the Matched AFM podcast. <laughs>